Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. You think of the sacrament of penance. You're taught that after you're baptized in, you can go and see a priest and you confess your sin to the priest. Then you're absolved of sin. Now, those of you who have a Catholic background, don't worry, I'm going to get to the Protestants in just a minute. Who's a Protestant? Anybody who's not a Catholic. You should know that the whole confession system that came from the Catholic Church that you're accustomed to did not show up until about 600 A.D. That's about six centuries after Jesus was born. The confessional was developed about 600 years after the whole Jesus thing. The confessional is not a bad thing, it's just not a Bible thing. Just like the Christmas Advent, it's not a bad thing, but it's not a Bible thing. And if you're a Protestant, well, we have our own system, don't we? We Protestants, we feel superior to the Catholic because we don't have to go to the priest. Here's the Protestant's version of it all. We're taught that you get beside your bed on your knees if you're really committed and you just tell God directly about all the sins you've committed. Then we've been taught that once you tell God all the sins you've committed, once your sins are all dealt with and your bag of sin is completely empty, you can go back out and fill the bag all up again. Put it over your shoulder, come back to your bedroom, get down on your knees, and empty out the bag again. And magically, God forgot everything. Okay, now, the Protestant system, the things you need to know. When you confess your sins to God, did you know that God does not forget that you sinned? I'm sure I got everybody's attention when I just said that. The scripture doesn't, doesn't teach God has a memory problem. No, it teaches that because of the blood of the Lamb, we are pardoned. Did you catch that word? That we are pardoned from that which we are clearly guilty of. Did I ever tell you that my name is Marvin Telemontis and I am a sinner saved by grace? And God knows it. It reads in Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, it's not in your notes, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Now, it's easy to kind of miss something here, so I want to make sure we catch this. This verse is speaking about us being pardoned from our sin as far as the east is from the west. When a person is pardoned, even today, it does not mean that a crime or a violation or a sin has not been committed. 
A pardon means that a person, a supreme authority, decided to allow a person to be relieved of some or all of the payment due for the crime committed. A pardon may be granted before or even after a conviction is made. A pardon may be offered because the authority has determined that there has been adequate payment for the crime committed. And the pardon removes. To catch us, what we just read? He removed our transgressions. What's that transgression mean? Sin. He has removed our sin from us. He has removed, because of pardon, He has removed the power of my sin to influence what God can do to me. God cannot see sin on me because of the blood of the Lamb. It doesn't mean that sin wasn't there. Otherwise, He wouldn't have gone to the cross. I don't know why, but somebody lied to me and said God doesn't see all the... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, if you get a Bible and you start in a book called Genesis, they record and record keep the sin of Adam and Eve. How about the sin of Noah getting drunk? How about Moses killing the Egyptian? I can take this all the way through the whole Bible, guys. There are people, men and women, that for thousands of years, it's recorded in the Word of God that we could read and document all the people who blew it. And God's not supposed to know? How come God has a different set of rules for me than these people? How come God forgets my sin, but remembers all of their sin as life lessons for me? It's not saying he forgot my sin. It's not saying he forgot their sin. It's saying we've been pardoned. He's removed the sin and its power. The wages of sin is death. But because of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, I have everlasting life because of the blood. You see that? Somewhere along the way, Maybe you began to believe and I began to believe. I don't know if somebody taught us this or, or we just assume this. That most of us believe that the reason we confess, the point of confession, we think is to relieve our guilt. Or to relieve our conscience. And that's only part of it. It's really not the truth. So over time, confession really becomes all about me because I don't want to feel a certain way. I don't feel good about me. I feel like something's between me and God and I feel bad about what I do. How do I get rid of all this guilt? I know. I will just get down on my knees. I will find the priest and I'll say I'm sorry. Hmm, I just confess so I can feel better. We think confession is about clearing our conscience. But it's so much more. Here's what we will find in the scripture. That genuine biblical confession serves as a first step towards something different. 
Genuine biblical confession serves as a first step towards repentance. And reconciliation as, as when you sin against someone else leads back to that person where we confess, where we reconcile, where there's restitution. True confession is I'm not going to have a secret confession between me and God. Real confession is going to tell God I'm sorry, and then I'm going to go tell that person I was wrong and I'm sorry as well. Genuine biblical confession leads to genuine change. Change of mind, change of heart, change of behavior. If you mistreat a person, anybody here ever mistreat somebody? Okay, just let the pastor with his hands up, nobody else, I get it. Jesus forgive them for now they're lying. <laughs> if you mistreat a person, did you know that you've been unfaithful to God? Now, we like to split those things into two. We come to church, and we come up to the altar, and we bow our knees, and, oh, God, I just want to make it right between me and you. Oh, God, forgive me, and, and, and everything's right. I know I hate that person over there, and I can't stand that person over there, but everything's right between me and you, right, God? And God goes, no. Go make it right with them. Even if, even if you can't fix everything, admit where you're wrong. And all of a sudden, God says, now come. Now meet me at the altar. And watch what will happen. Confession. Confessing is me coming to you saying, or me realizing Okay, I've stolen. Okay, I wasn't fair. I betrayed. I cheated. I said I gossiped. Whatever it might be. And God, I'm really, really sorry. And God's going, I'm glad you're sorry. Part two, go. Go. Confess to them. Make restitution. But God, that's going to be expensive. Yeah. What's your problem? Make it right. Wow. Now that's a confession system. That's completely different than probably any of your backgrounds growing up, whether it was a Catholic faith or a Protestant faith. It's attached to when I confess there's going to be restitution. From restitution, there's going to be what? Reconciliation. There's going to be repentance. And when there's true repentance, I change the way I think. I change what's in my heart. And I change the way I behave. And because I had to go and tell my brother, do you think I'm going to do what I did easily the second time? I mean, I had to go public with this thing. Am I going to do it again? Do you see the power in this kind of confession? I don't know. I think I've shared this story before, but 
I got home on a Wednesday night at church, and the kids were all in children's ministry and youth ministry. And I had worked, you know, 14, 16-hour day, and I'll just be honest with you, I was tired. Had to round up the kids, and they were anywhere and everywhere but where they were supposed to be. I picked them up, and they were beyond loud and rambunctious. They, they were told they were going to go right to bed when we got home because it was late already. And when I got home, what do you think they did? They went right in the kitchen to get a bowl of cereal and didn't make me one. <laughs> but I got upset, and it wasn't funny. I put on my dad voice, and it was loud. I know how to preach. I tore into them, and they all ran with their tail between their legs and got into bed, and I was happy. I finally could grab the remote control and have a moment's rest. Went to bed feeling proud of myself, making my kids cry themselves to sleep. I went, I, oh, I slept fine. I got to work the next day, got into my office, sat there, going to start diving into my word. As soon as I opened it up, I could hear the Holy Spirit. Really? Is that how you're going to do this? I said, what, Lord? He goes, you know exactly what. He says, make it right. How dare you open up the scriptures? I just wept. I grabbed my keys, ran over. It's called Quick Star. It's out in the Midwest. And I grabbed some goodies and big old pops and, and goodies and treats. I spent all sorts of money. And I ran into every single school my kids were at. They were in three different schools at that time. I pulled them out of the class, each one of them. Got down on my knee. I said, I'm sorry. I had no right to be yelling and screaming like I did last night. And I don't want you to have a horrible day. Your dad was wrong. And he loves you. And he wants you to have a wonderful day. Will you forgive me? Sure, there we are crying in the hallway. One by one, I did that with all of them. The oldest one I actually took to Carl's Jr.'s was called Hardy's back there. It made a difference. I don't want to be that kind of a dad. I don't have that freedom to do that anymore. Why? Because I confessed right to them. It makes me think before I do it. There's a story of, a, of an arrogant, well, the prodigal son. And he's a wonderful example of biblical confession. Not only to God the Father, but his fatherly, his earthly father. Now many of us relate to the prodigal son who was convinced he knew how to run his life a whole lot better than God himself. And for some of us, we've doubled down on stupid and decided we're going to prove God wrong anyways. And boy, have we left a wake of broken relationships and offended people that supposedly we said we care and loved. I won't have you raise your hands on that, but I can see it in your faces. So let's look at Luke chapter 15. We'll start at verse 11. 
To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. Because he's already told them the story about the 99 sheep and the lost lamb. He's talked about the woman who's lost her, her coin. And now he's going to the third story to illustrate that which God lo loses, he values. And he'll do anything to get. Now it's down to one to one. It went from 100 to one, then it goes 10 to one, now it goes one to one. But there's something incredibly powerful beyond just that part of the story. And that's what we're going to get into today. And it says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Do I have to tell you how humiliating that must have been for that father? While he's still living, his son wants to treat him as though if he's dead. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living at Las Vegas, Jerusalem. Now, the word used here for wild living is only used once in the New Testament. It describes an extravagantly wasteful lifestyle. It may seem like the right thing at the time, and after all, in this case of a younger man, he thought he was a hero. Soon to find out he was going to become a zero. At this point, as he gets to the point where all the money's gone, and he realizes it's, it's all being blown, he's got nothing to fall back on. He squandered it all. And in the words of the prophet Isaiah, let's go to Isaiah 53, verse 6. It says, all of us like sheep. So I'm not just picking on the prodigal, I'm picking on all of us, starting with me. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Wow. Thankfully, that's not how the, the story ends with the prodigal son. Nor is it the end of our story. Let's go back to Luke and start at uh, verse 14. And the time, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. Can you imagine that? Not only is it bad that he doesn't have any money, now there's a famine. So you know what that does to the prices of everything? <laughs> it takes them up even higher. And he began to starve. This word in the original means to the point of death. It's not just going hungry. It means starving to the point of death. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. This guy's Jewish, and he's dealing with pigs. Not supposed to happen. The young man became so hungry that even the pods, that means the slop the pigs would eat, he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against, catch this, both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on, on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. There needs to be a time in each of our lives where we simply come to our senses and realize that our life will never be what it was meant to be if we do it apart from God. 
It won't happen. But the good news is we're able to make the decision to go back to the Father. Some will simply have to hit rock bottom so we can realize that in Christ alone we are found worthy before the Father. Not based upon anything we can or cannot do, but based upon the finished work of the cross. As the younger son reaches his end, look at his confession he was practicing while he's walking back home. And he's saying, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. He recognizes the depravity of his life, and he understands his sin was against both dad and his heavenly father. Let's go back to the scriptures. Look, start at verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He's a long way off. You know what this is telling me? That every day, every morning, that dad would come out, out of his porch, and he's looking. He's looking down that long road. Is he coming home today? Is today the day? Coming home for lunch. Wait a minute, is, is my boy... Why, why is dad always looking down the road? He looks down the road every day, all day long. Because he knows. I'm not giving up on my boy. I just want him to come home. Just come home. We can start fresh, but just come home. And he finally sees the way he's walking, the gate of his walk. He begins to see the gate of his walk. And he does what no man would do in that culture. And he lifts up his clothing, his garment, to expose his legs. You don't do that in that culture. It would be like taking off all of our men's shirts and standing here in church. You wouldn't do that. He picks them up. And then he does the unthinkable. He runs. Can you imagine running through Walmart? He runs and he runs and he runs and he gets to his boy. He throws his arms around his neck and he kisses him. And you could hear underneath the muffling of being squeezed by his dad. You could hear just the muffling because he's all up with it his dad. And he said, Dad, I sinned against God and you. And his dad is crying with him. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. He got it. He really got it. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Get my tuxedo and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. That means he's going to have authority, just like me. 
and sandals for his feet, because he's not a servant. He's not a slave. We kill the calf. We will have, we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. It's time for a party. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. He came home to confess. He didn't even get far beyond that. And next thing you know, look what the father does. You see the reconciliation? See how everything changed? See all of a sudden there was repentance? No longer I'm smarter than you, dad. It's like I'm not even worthy to be called. Do you see everything changed? It's the power of confession. It's one of the most beautiful scenes of compassion in the entire Bible. The younger son reaches bottom, begins heading home. How many of you need to humble yourselves this morning? How many of you need to confess your sin against God or somebody else? You may be saying, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm old now. Really? There still isn't something digging you in the side from back when you were a little boy or a little girl? Something you're upset about, a dad or a mom, and there's no way you can talk to him again, but you know it's there. Still gnaws at you. Is there something from way deep in the past that's still affecting your today? I bet God could show you how to confess it, even if it's just to Him. But to ignore it, it doesn't mean it's not there. What can be, what should be confessed? What needs to be repented of that you could experience healing today? So maybe the question is, why, pastor, should I confess our, my sin to anyone else? Well, the epistle of James emphasizes the power of prayer in the life of believers. You know, that, that, that whole book, all five chapters, it's really talking about a community of believers. It's not talking about the sinners. Not talking about those who don't believe. It's talking about those brothers and sisters who do life in Jesus together. The whole book. And he gives them the practical ways of doing Christianity. All right? And then he says in chapter 5, verse 16, he's, he's, James is telling them, Confess your sins to God only. Isn't that what it says? Is that what it says? Well, why don't you read it with me? Ready? Begin. Confess your sins to and pray for so that you may be Did you catch that? Did you catch that? How many of us have read that through decades? Did you catch that when I make it right with my brother, when I make it right with my sister, whoever, my friend, when I make it right, so that you may be healed. 
that that could be one of the reasons in your unique situation? I'm not here talking about Job's friends saying you got a secret sin. You know whether you have an issue or not. You don't need me or anybody else telling you. But if that registers with you, and you sense the Holy Spirit tugging on you, then respond to it. And watch God bring His healing, victory, freedom to you. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. What's the assumption there? That if I confess and pray with others, that that means righteousness. Has great power and produces wonderful results. I'm liking that. The word confess, it means to agree, to admit, to say the same thing as to say I'm in agreement with what God says is wrong and versus what the world says is wrong. It involves identifying sin for what it truly is. Honestly acknowledging the offenses we have committed to other people. Confession also should include an attitude of turning away from sin and starting with what's in our heart. Now, James instructs believers who are struggling with sin, no, this is real important, to seek faithful, trusted brothers and sisters in Christ who will intercede for them in the battle. Sometimes there's something that's not right in your life. And sometimes it's not the best thing in the world to get up on the rooftops and scream into the world, look at how horrible I am. Don't do that. Okay? Don't be a fool. Find those who are mature in Christ. Find an elder. Find maturity. And say, I need help. I don't want this in my life. Help me. Help me find God in this. But be careful. Be careful how you go about that. Confessing your sin to one another in the body of Christ, it can break down the power of a secret sin. Let's look at Psalm 32, verse 3 and 5. Oh my goodness, the psalmist here. When I refuse to confess my sin. Woo! Anybody here have that problem? Just, just you, Pastor. Okay. My body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Folks, I don't know who that would be for. But, but I know when I, Have you ever been in that place where you were trying to say, I'm okay with God. God's over there. I'm okay with God. God bless you. I love you. But you know, you know, you heard, you know, 
you know it's not right. I have to admit, there was times where I've gone through some really hard times in life. There in Iowa, even here. And I was angry at God. I didn't understand. I didn't get it. Do you know God doesn't know Marvin and a reason why? I demand an answer, God. He doesn't owe me one. I can stop acting like a toddler. See, but when you confess, God can let go of, the enemy can't have a grip on you. God won't let go of me. It's that hidden sin that breaks our fellowship with God. And it keeps us isolated from other people. Confession, on the other hand, brings God's mercy. His forgiveness and freedom strengthens us through fellowship. And the multitude of blessings can fall upon us. I'm almost done here in this commentary called Open Up James. Roger Ellsworth shed some real incredible light on this idea of confessing our sins to one another. Quote, confession should always be as wide as the sin. If we have sinned secretly, we should confess it to God. If we have sinned against someone else, we should confess it to God and to the person whom we have wronged. And if we have sinned publicly, we should confess it to God and in public. It's pretty profound, right? Why do we confess our sin to one another? Because a continual relationship of confession and forgiveness among brothers and sisters in Christ, it cultivates purity. It cultivates unity, which the body of Christ is to embody. The bottom line is this. Genuine biblical confession leads to genuine biblical change. Like the prodigal son, is it time for you to come home? Will you pray with me? Father, I confess today that I, I've made decisions that have been painful in relationships and with you. God, forgive me. If you're here today, is there something in your life that you know you need to confess to the Lord? And if He guides you to that other person, no strings attached, just, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I want to make this right. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you look at me? And I want to pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Will you pray with me? Just say, 
Dear God, everybody, everybody in the room, dear God, I confess today I've made bad choices. I've sinned against you and other people. God, forgive me. Free me from my shame and the guilt that I may walk in the newness of life that you offer me by the blood of Jesus. God, there's three things we say when we forgive that one, I promise I'll never throw this in your face again that you've done wrong to me. I promise I'm not going to go tell other people about this. And I promise I'm not going to meditate on this. If people are struggling with unforgiveness or offense, and, and now you've retaliated, and now you feel this guilt and shame, those are those three promises that you've got to make to that other person. Or maybe you've got to say, God, I'm sorry because I've been angry at you. And I've been demanding an answer. God, I want to be set free from this all. Like the prodigal, I just want to come home. I just want to be part of the family of God. I want to know that I know that Jesus is there with me. That the Holy Spirit can take over my life. God, I pray you set the captive free today. Help us to embrace confession. Help us to walk in unity and reconciliation, and restitution, and repentance. And Father, you will get all the praise. You'll get all the glory. And God, we'll be in a position where you can bless us. May we not do this for blessing, but that's just who you are, the God who rewards. Our faithfulness, our faithfulness to confess to you and to those we've wronged. Now, Lord, bless each and every person who responded to that today. Give them the strength to do that which is right with wisdom. Sometimes we can't go back to somebody's past. Sometimes we can't go because it would just cause more of, a, of the fireworks and, and just wouldn't be healthy. So give us the right will and the right time. Guide us, Lord. These matters are serious. May we not just take it on our own. I pray you bless your people in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. And we all say, Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.